so when I got when I got to Edinburgh, um, like I said, I mean, I didn't even know, you know, I, I was just I wouldn't say I was along for the ride, but really didn't know if I could even make it, quite honestly, as a Division One wrestler. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100% how to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. We are back again, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast presented by Spartan Combat. I'm your host, Ryan Warner. We have a great guest today. It's Virginia Tech head coach, Tony Roby. Tony grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, was a two-time All-American for Edinburgh, 1997 NCAA finalist. And then he was an assistant coach for several years before joining Kevin Dresser's staff at Virginia Tech back in 06. Then he took over the head coaching duties in 2017, and they've created a, another ACC dynasty at Virginia Tech, and it's awesome to see what Coach Tony Roby's doing, and I loved having him on the show. Fan of the week goes to Maggie E. That's at Maggie21715 on Twitter. Thank you so much for the support. Maggie's a wrestling mom, a sports fan, a wife, and a big fan of OSU, so thank you very much for the support, Maggie. And that's it, folks. Let's get to the interview with Tony Roby. Hey, guys, this episode, as well as every episode, is brought to you by Spartan Combat. They're hosting a national tournament in Jacksonville, Florida, May 20th through the 23rd. All styles will be competing. Check it out now at SpartanCombat.com. Tony Roby, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. It's good to be on. Yeah, I'm excited for this. Every, I don't know why, but the past week, every conversation has had some tie back to Joe Williams, and he's a childhood idol of mine. And so you, I've known your name because that 1997 famous season, obviously you wrestled Joe in the finals. We'll talk about that. But I got to go back to your early days um, because I was surprised to learn that you were like an in-season wrestler only, just kind of went to Edinburgh because that was like, you know, the local school and you had more of a football prowess. So what was life like growing up for you in Erie PA? A lot different than it is, I think, for a lot of kids, especially now. I mean, obviously it was a long time ago, right? So uh, the world has changed significantly uh, in that time. But it was, uh, for me, it was different. I mean, it, you know, I was uh, in a situation where I just didn't really, wasn't exposed to a whole lot of, uh, of life outside of the little fishbowl that I lived in, which consisted of about, you know, probably a couple square miles and, and the friends that I had and, and you know, and 
uh, my, my brother and uh, just, it was definitely, uh, I guess, small in a lot of cases, a good way to describe it and not being aware of everything else and all the opportunities that was out there. And, you know, I, I, like, you know, you mentioned, I didn't, I didn't really wrestle a lot. Um, you know, I wrestled for a couple months during the season and uh, that was really about it. And you could probably get away with it a little bit more back then. It would be really hard to do right now, but uh, back in the day, it was a little more commonplace, I guess. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely held me back a little bit, I think in high school. And then early, and even early on in my college career, I was playing catch up big time compared to most people. But, uh, you know, fortunately I was able to, to catch up and uh, things, things worked out pretty good for me. How'd you end up at Edinburgh? To be honest, I didn't have a lot of options. Um, you know, I, I went on three official visits. Uh, I went to uh, Indiana and Bloomington when Joe McFarlane was actually the head coach there and I, who I later coached with at Michigan for four years. So I joked with him when I was there a lot because they didn't, they had me on a visit, but they didn't make me an offer. I was kind of an afterthought, probably planned, you know, uh, C or D or F for them. Um, <laughs> so they didn't make me an offer. And uh, I went to Lock Haven because, you know, it was a similar school to, to Edinburgh and it was in state and I went to Edinburgh and Edinburgh was the only school that, that made me any kind of a scholarship offer. And it wasn't a lot. And um, quite honestly, it was 20 minutes from home. You know, my brother went to school there. All my friends went to school there. Uh, you know, I didn't, to me, going a couple hours away from home at that particular point probably would have been something that would have, uh, would have taken a lot of consideration on my part. So it just kind of worked out, but it, it, it was a blessing in disguise, quite honestly. I think just being at a small school and uh, having the ability to, to be around some really good people at that particular time that were in place at Edinburgh and that came in uh, during my time at Edinburgh really helped, you know, put me on the path to where I am today. Yeah, I love the story of your freshman year where you really fell in love with wrestling and it made a lot of lifestyle choices and, or changes, I should say. Before we get to that, though, I'm just curious. Like, when you walk in a room as a freshman and Bruce Bumgarner's a coach, does it really sink in how legendary this guy is? Or because you weren't that familiar, he was just another coach? I mean, it's pretty unique to have that. No, no. I, I mean, I knew. I mean, being from Erie, too, obviously, you know, uh, it was so close that Bruce was uh, – he was kind of a superstar um, in, in that area. So I was well aware of how great of a wrestler he was. Um, but it was almost the more you got to know Bruce, the less that was really an issue just because he was such a modest down to earth uh, guy and very relatable and um, certainly had zero ego whatsoever. So, um, you know, the more I got to know Bruce, the, the, the less that I guess, I don't know, you know, uh, putting him in awe or putting him on a pedestal that, that wore off pretty quick. Um, and he just became, you know, another guy and your coach. Yeah, and you guys had, I think Lou Roselli was a senior then, so and then Tim Flynn was there. And so I was listening to your interview on the Mark Bader show, and I heard you say that like your first week you didn't know what a high crotch was. You just didn't have that much experience to the to the college wrestling. But obviously you had an incredible career and now you're one of the top coaches in the game. So what was the turning point your freshman year when it when things changed for you? So when I got when I got to Edinburgh, um, like I said, I mean I didn't even know, you know, I, I was just I wouldn't say I was along for the ride, but I, I was wrestling because it was, it was an opportunity. I didn't really have a lot else flying at that particular time. So I was like, heck, you know, I'll give it a shot. But I, I didn't go in there with like real high goals of being a national champ or, 
really didn't know if I could even make it quite honestly as a division one wrestler. So uh, the first, you know, the first six months or so was really hard for me um, just getting acclimated to the, to the training aspect of it and the commitment aspect of it. It was, it was, you know, night and day from what I was used to when I was in high school. I, I worked out during wrestling season. I didn't put my wrestling shoes on for five, six months a lot of times um, at a time. So certainly never worked out twice a day and never worked out to the level of intensity that uh, was going on at that particular time at Edinburgh. So it, it took a little while to, to acclimate to it. But um, for me, I, I, you know, I wrestled as a true freshman too, which you know, it was, was good and bad, I guess, you know, looking back on it, it'd be sure be nice to, to have redshirted. I think I would have been an all American another time. And, you know, it, it would, it would uh, help your, uh, your credentials a lot, but it was good in a way that I got acclimated pretty quick. I learned what it was about. And I also learned that, that I could be pretty good. And I think, you know, about halfway through the season, I picked up a couple pretty decent wins over some guys who were ranked maybe in the top 12, you know, and it was kind of back and forth. I'd have a good win and maybe a bad loss, a good win, a bad loss. But um, just I had the realization that, you know, that these guys really weren't any better than me, that this is something that, that I could do. Right. And, and I knew that I had some intangible qualities that, um, that I think helped me get to where, to where I am today or get me through college wrestling. And, um, you know, a lot of that was, was my relationship with Tim Flynn and, and Lou Roselli in particular. And those guys really, I, I think, uh, help, help build my confidence and, and really see that there, there, you could make something of this. And, and, uh, for me, that was, that was pretty cool. And, uh, it was definitely a big part of my development, uh, in that first year, but yeah, in terms of any specific moment, I don't know if there was a specific moment, but I, I do recall once that season was over, and I didn't even back then, you know, they had the qualification system for the nationals was a lot different. So um, a lot of times the, the guys that deserved to go to the nationals didn't go. And I didn't, I didn't qualify for the NCAAs. I think I took fifth in the EWL tournament out of, out of eight guys or something. And uh, after that season, something clipped, clicked for me. And, and I, I never liked to lose though. I mean, that was, that was one thing that I've had my whole life is losing just wasn't something that I was okay with. So once I'm, I think I made the decision that this was going to be something that I was going to go all in on, um, you know, it, it also triggered a certain amount of work ethic and uh, desire and commitment level that I hadn't had before. So it, it was probably a combination of all those things. How did it change your life outside of wrestling too? I mean, were you like diet, dieting right, student, your grades were on point, everything changed or? I, yeah, really, I think a lot of things changed. Uh, so, I mean, I grew up, uh, in an environment where, you know, I, I don't know, discipline wasn't exactly front and center um, for me in high school and, and early on in my college career and, um, you know, in all aspects of my life. So uh, the discipline, I think I learned, uh, you know, through through uh, that my freshman year and even into my high school football career a little bit uh, really kind of, I think, catapulted me in, in helped me change things. And, you know, I knew I wanted more. I knew that I was capable of more. Um, and, uh, and like I said, I was really competitive and I really, really wanted to win when I was out there, but I didn't always want to win, you know, Monday through Thursday. And that changed for me. And, and as soon as I, you know, realized that, that, that that's what I had to do, I wanted to be elite. Um, I, I made, you know, made some changes, made some sacrifices 
and got a lot better, you know, quite honestly, pretty, pretty quick. And, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was a fun process. It's so fun to talk to people from your generation where you literally maybe, I can't tell you how many people from your exact age said the first time I watched a college dual meet was when I was on the college team. And just the jumps that you could have back then, because the skill level in high school wasn't what it is now, you know, now with the RTCs, kids are around college coaches all the time. So you literally could see jumps like that, where you come in, I think you had like a 17 and 13 record, still pretty respectable for a true freshman. But then the next year you have like two losses and you lose to Binion and OT um, or Malika and OT, excuse me. Um, so it's just, it's, you don't really see that. Do you still see that as much on your team now or guys come in with such a level that it's hard to see those jumps? Uh, not nearly as much, right? Because like you mentioned, I mean, I think kids are, so number one, kids are not playing multiple sports as much in, in high school, really even in, in middle school in a lot of cases right now. I mean, my son, I've got a son that's in eighth grade that, um, you know, his, he made the decision this, I wanted him to play football, but he just said, I'm not, I don't want to play football. I want to focus on wrestling. So back then you, you didn't see that as much. I mean, kids did a lot of things. And I think athletically it makes you better in the long run, but probably puts you behind in terms of your, you know, your wrestling acumen and your, your te technical uh, uh, part of the sport. So uh, yeah, definitely. And, and then the internet changed things in addition to the RTCs and the access to really good coaching I think once, you know, once the internet uh, got, got huge, you know, I mean, you got to remember this was 1990. I, I graduated high school in 1992. So it was a long time ago. Um, the world got a lot smaller and kids got exposed to a lot of different things. And, you know, heck now they're watching, you know, they're watching uh, technique videos and they're watching wrestling. Uh, they're watching the Russian, Russian nationals on their phone in bed. Um, like, and like you said, I had never even been to a college wrestling match until I was wrestling in one, um, you know, and, and I guess would be the fall of 1992. Yeah. What, so what, what do you think the biggest impacts were? Was it just, a, not just, was it you had world-class coaching for the first time and then like you made a decision for yourself to get better? Or, or do you think like if you would have had those coaches in high school, you would have been that good? Or was it more of like an attitude thing? I think it was, no, I think it was a combination of both. Mm -hmm. I think if I would have uh, been at a, I think athletically I was good enough to be, to be good. Um, in high school, listen, I was solid in high school. I took yeah. third in Pennsylvania twice. Some of, some of it was too, just never wrestling in big environments or big events. Sometimes, you know, you get to the state tournament and you'd never wrestled outside of a high school gym. And then you're wrestling at this, you know, big arena and, you know, it's the Pennsylvania state tournament and everybody's making a big deal about it. And, and dealing with that pressure was something that I wasn't good at in high school. Um, that I had to learn how to get better at. But uh, yeah, definitely the, just, I, I think those two things build upon each other. When you have really good coaching, really good environment, really good training partners, and you, you, as you get better, you start to build confidence too. And then, you know, confidence and work ethic and success all go hand in hand. And for me, it was, it was all of those things. But, uh, you know, it, it, it definitely... I couldn't have done it without the help of the people that you mentioned. Um, you know, they, they, it was a huge part of my development and, uh, you know, still guys that are, you know, uh, I go on vacation with every year. I mean, really my best friend. So that's um, pretty cool. When I look back at my experience at Edinburgh, you know, going in there and then leaving and then to, to where I am today and the relationships that I have, um, you know, that, that's something that's pretty special that I don't think you, that I would have gotten at a, at a lot of other places. 
especially if it was like some big school where maybe you were, you know, a number on the wall, so to speak. I, you hear that all the time. But I mean, obviously you made it through, had an awesome career, uh, finalist, two-time All-American. Talk about the, the changes to your game at Michigan, not in terms of your competitive game, but your coaching game. Because that was one of the – you had two stops before that, but you were a full-on paid coach. You had the you – know, you moved your family out there. So what were some of the big takeaways from life in the Big Ten? Yeah, it was a great experience for me uh, moving. I, I coached at Edinburgh for two years, and I was at West Virginia for a year. And we had we had really good teams. The year I was at West Virginia, I think we finished eighth in the country. And uh, the two years I was at Edinburgh, we had, you know, uh, Jason Robinson was in the NCAA Finals. Josh Koscheck was in the NCAA Finals. So had some success. But when I, when I made the move to go to Michigan, I, I, I stopped competing entirely and mm. made the transition from – where you're kind of half athlete, half coach to full-time coach. And I walked into a good situation at Michigan. Um, we had some good guys, you know, Ryan Burkeen came in the same year that I came in. Um, he registered the first year, but Andy Rovat was there. Michael Zicky was there. Um, we had some, some good guys. They had recruited. Well, actually Sean or Met was the assistant coach prior to me coming in. So Sean left and then I replaced Sean Sean moved to back to Chicago to start overtime at that mm -hmm. particular time. So, um, you know, he had done a good job uh, bringing in some good kids, but uh, yeah, it was, it was cool because I think when you're, you know, in your late twenties, early thirties, and you can get on the mat a lot, uh, you, you develop some good relationships. And I think you can make a huge impact probably then more so than when you're, 47 years old like I am now in terms of getting on the mat and helping guys get better with the, the technical and the wrestling part of things. So, um, you know, I went all in and, and really spent a lot of time with those guys and I was close in age with them. So I uh, really had a lot in common with a lot of those guys. You know, Ryan Bertine was somebody that I that I really hit it off with and was really close with. And um, I think, you know, I think helped a little bit and, to, you know, on his journey. So um, I, I think that was just the biggest thing is really jumping in head first in, into coaching at that particular point and, uh, you know, and uh, making sure that it was my number one priority uh, every single day. Did you have a lot of relationships with the Michigan alum and that group before going in there? Or was that kind of your first experience with that whole, that whole, cause that's a pretty tight knit group with the Trevellas and, um, and that whole scene up there. They all seem pretty tight knit. No, you know, I hadn't. Um, I, I had actually, it's funny. That summer before I, I got hired at Michigan in I think it was like early fall. And that summer I went and did a camp in, in Cleveland, Ohio. And the guy that was running the camp was close with Ryan Bertin. So I was there for like three days and um, Ryan had come on a visit to Edinburgh. So I got to know him. I hung out with him when he was on his visit to Edinburgh. I didn't really recruit him because I was, you know, the volunteer coach at the time, but they, I spent a whole day with him and we, you know, kind of hit it off. And then while I was at that camp, you know, we spent a ton of, I mean, we drilled together. I mean, you could just, I remember leaving there and this was when I was still coaching at Edinburgh, going back and talking to Tim Flynn. I was like, man, this kid's going to be special because his just desire to be great. I mean, every single, he was, you know, he, he, every chance he got to work out with me, he was asking me to work out. So he'd ask me in between sessions, he'd ask me to stay afterward, after the camp was over to drill with him, to wrestle with him. And so we, you know, we developed a relationship there. And then, um, you know, when Joe had called me to go to Michigan, um, you know, that, that was a, that helped a little bit with my transition. 
I, me and Sean used to wrestle a lot yeah. too. So that I think maybe was part of it, you know, just Joe being aware of me, um, you know, and, and I had a pretty good relationship with Sean, even though we competed against each other. So um, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but you're right. It is, it's a close knit family there. And, and while I was there, I got to know the Chirellas really, really well. Coach Ryan um, recruited Josh. I think I left Josh's after his true freshman year when which he redshirted, if I, if I can remember correctly, but, you know, still really tight with all those guys. Were you there with Tannenbaum at all? Or was that after your time? Yeah, Eric was, uh, he was either, I was a year or two with Eric. Yeah. Yep. He was, he was, and he was another one. You could just tell oh early on, he was going to be really, really good. And so explosive, so fast and, um, you know, great worker, but yeah, Eric, Eric's probably, uh, one of the more underrated guys that nobody ever talks about. He was really good. Four time all American. Yeah. He's a, he's a legend. I, I did a, a little audio documentary project on him. When he was a sophomore in high school, he was like 86 and 0 and got pinned in the state finals by a kid who he had already beaten. So it's like, it's folklore in Illinois and, and the story had to be told. But now that I'm talking about it with you, I imagine you were probably the guy coming to Naperville to recruit him. Were you like the main guy recruiting Tannenbaum? I wouldn't say I was the main guy. I think Joe probably recruited him. I was involved for sure, but I didn't have a ton of ties in, uh, in Illinois. So, you know, Joe was, was definitely involved in that more than I was at that particular time. But, but I worked with Eric a lot his freshman year before I left. Yeah. No, he's awesome, man. He's a, a medical doctor doing knee and hip surgeries now in Indiana. He's just a shining example of what you want. He's an awesome guy. Um, so I got to ask, so you talked about how it's difficult to recruit in a state where you're not really from. Um, is that true even when you're a head coach as well? Because I, you know, I know you were at Binghamton for a year and they were rebuilding, but you weren't familiar. So I was familiar with New York necessarily. So I always wanted to ask, is it hard to recruit in a state you're not from or does the head coach title kind of take care of the rest? I think the, the institution you're at helps a little bit too, you know, yeah. and the success that your program has had. I think initially when when we got when me and dresser came to virginia tech it was it was not easy to recruit um just because you know we hadn't had a lot of success and the program was uh in a little bit of turmoil at that particular point so um when you're at a school like virginia tech i don't think it's that hard uh but you do seem at least we've seemed to develop our, our the areas that we like to recruit in that we've had success recruiting in and a lot of that times, that's just because you're familiar with, with those areas, you're comfortable, uh, you have connections. So for us, it's, you know, we've really landed a lot in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Ohio um, is where we do a lot of our recruiting. And fortunately for us, those areas are all relatively close and they're all pretty good wrestling states. Um, but it's, you know, we really probably do need to branch out a little bit more and start recruiting um, the Midwest and the West Coast. It's, the Midwest is tough simply because there's a lot of really good options for kids to go to school, um, you know, that are, that are a lot closer than, than Blacksburg or Virginia. Yeah. I mean, we were, you think about a state like Illinois, you know, and PA in Ohio, of course, great high school States, the choices these kids have is ridiculous. I mean, if you're in Chicago, you could go to Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan, Northwestern, um, university of Illinois, all without missing a beat. And like, it's all within driving range. So um, when you look at the ACC and the, in the rise of the schools out there, it's awesome to see because it's quickly becoming one of the top conferences in the country. Um, you got you, you got Pat Papalizio out there, you know, the Virginia UNC it's, it's awesome to see it, but man, back when you joined in 06, 
um, it wasn't at, you know, Virginia Tech still a name, but were there any doubts like you were going to the ACC coming from you know, the Big Ten? I mean, what, what was that thought process and kind of how has the ACC grown over the years? Well, it was easy. When I came down here to, to check Virginia Tech out, it was pretty easy to tell that you could be, that you, we could be good. Um, it Why was, you say you that? Know, you, just because you get on this campus and, and, you know, once you get down here to Blacksburg, it's, it's an incredibly nice place. Um, and it's just got a great feel to it. And um, anybody that we bring on campus, you know, whether they end up coming to school here or not, really kind of falls in love with it. it it's really that nice. So for me, when I came down here, it was, I knew that we could recruit well here, you know, and, and I knew we'd have to have some success, but it was easy to see that, you know, there were some things that this place had that, you know, that you can't either have it or you don't type of deal. So some schools are, are fortunate, some schools aren't. So for, for me, it was easy to tell that, you know, Virginia Tech could be really good um, in the sport of wrestling. And uh, it took a little while for us to, to get it to where we wanted to be. But, and I think a lot of the ACC schools have the same thing. I mean, they're, they're great campuses, their locations are awesome. Um, you know, big time athletics, great academics. There's a lot to sell. And you were joining there, you know, Coach Dresser, who had, I didn't realize this until looking at your background that he was uh, a high school coach before taking over. Obviously, had won, you know, state titles at like two or three schools, it looked like, but um, pretty crazy that he had come from the high school ranks and then just started building right away. What was something you, you picked up from working with Dresser? Like, month one or two on the job well yeah you're right well he was you know he was a highly successful high school coach in this area so um and he was coaching at christiansburg high school which is right down the road which is actually where my my kids go to school now so um you know kevin is uh got a lot of really good qualities one of the things that he's you know that i probably the biggest thing that i learned from him being around him is uh, just how important a lot of the things outside of the wrestling room are. Um, you know, he really understood uh, how important it was. He, he kind of have had a Jay Robinson uh, kind of mentality a little bit in terms of marketing and promoting the program and making sure, you know, putting a priority on getting fans in, in the uh, seats and really developing the program from that level as well as from the wrestling room. And I think it, uh, it's something that, that made an impact on me for sure. Pro probably the biggest thing outside of, uh, of the wrestling room was just this, that kind of vision that he had. Yeah. it's his first press conference. He came in and said that Virginia tech, you know, was going to win a national title at some point. And a lot of people say that, but it's just, it's cool to see someone who's that outspoken, but also puts the work in, you know, work in for it. Um, what's the, What's it, what are some of the biggest differences between being an assistant coach and being a head coach? Cause you were the head coach named the head coach in 2017. And uh, I'm sure you probably felt you were ready long before that. And um, just curious, like what, what's the, some of the biggest changes? Well, I think for sure. Some of the things we just kind of talked about, I think, you know, being an assistant coach, it's a lot more just wrestling, wrestling and recruiting. Right. And as the head coach, uh, you've got to make every decision, you know, you've got to be able to manage the people you've got to be, you know, you have to have, uh, you have to wear a lot of different hats. Fundraising is incredibly important. Marketing is incredibly important. Getting on shows like this and being able to communicate 
with your fan base is, is really important. Being able to, uh, you know, have relationships with your administrators and deal with the administration, all of those things, uh, and, and managing the guys and the team outside of the wrestling room. Uh, so it's definitely, there's a lot of differences uh, in the job, and it probably takes away from a little bit what you can do on the, on the mat. Um, when you do become the head coach, but uh, yeah, I think that was, those are the biggest differences in, in, in my opinion, um, as opposed to being, and being an assistant coach, you think the head coaching job's really easy, but it's a lot harder than you think. <laughs> but it's probably hard to wrestle every day still when you, you know, when you get to like 35, 40, cause the assistants are expected to wrestle or at least be on the mat most of the time. No, no question. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, as you get, I'm 47, so, or I'll be 47 in May. So um, yeah, th that ship has sailed. <laughs> <laughs> I get on the mat a little bit here and there and drill and spar, but I'm not wrestling a whole lot. I can promise you that much. So one of the uh, years at Virginia Tech, I was excited to ask you about is 2011. And I think that was the year the nationals were in Philly. Um, you guys went in and had some high hopes didn't pan out how you wanted. Um, but I'm more curious about like the days and weeks after um, when you have a whole season that you're excited for and thought you could do real well and it didn't turn out how you wanted. Like, how do you process that as a coach? And, and what were some of the, some of the memories from that 2011 tournament? Yeah, though they weren't good. Right. I mean, it was, it was definitely uh, underachieving um, is, is I guess the best way to put it. And it was disappointing we had a, we had a pretty good team. Uh, we had yet to kind of really break through, but we had a really good team. We had a kid named Jesse Dong and Pete Yates and Gerard Garnett. And I think Devin Carter might've been a freshman that year. So we, we went into that tournament with probably five or six guys that we felt like had a chance to, to place, you know, we knew none of them were, you know, shoe-ins, right. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have any Makai Lewis's at that particular point, but um it was, it was very disappointing. Um, it, it's something that took, a, took some time to get over for sure. Um, I remember we, so we bust up there and then we packed up and we left Saturday night after the finals, you know, usually you stick around wow. Saturday and you, you hang out and your guys, you know, go out and have a good time. But yeah, we, we packed up and came back and uh, just felt like we didn't have anything to sell. There was nothing to celebrate for us. Um, so it was, you know, in a lot of ways, it might've been a blessing though. I think it helped us make some changes and I think uh, tweak the way we did things to a certain degree in, in, in a few areas and, and allowed us to uh, implement those changes in the next few years and, and kind of build to, to having success and having top 10 finishes. And, you know, you got to learn, learn from your failures too. Right. And if, if you don't, it's uh, you're probably just going to keep making the same mistakes. So I thought, I thought uh, to our credit, I thought we did a pretty good job making some adjustments. Was it related to like peaking or length of schedule or what was it? Some of the... I think so. Yeah. I would say mostly just to, to, to peaking and, and, uh, and really just not making a, a huge deal about it. Right. I mean, sometimes you, you, you know, you can put too much pressure on, on kids. And um, I think, you know, there's a lot of things. It was a long time ago, but it was definitely, a, uh, I think a wake up call for our staff at that particular point. Yeah. It's interesting when you talk to coaches about how they track and measure progress or changes, because you're not getting the immediate feedback like they were when you were a wrestler. You know, it's pretty easy to track. Hey, my goal was to get a hundred takedowns today. I did or I didn't. Um, how do you track progress as a coach? 
when uh, sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in your guys. Like, how are you still developing your own game? Yeah, it's hard to do, right? You know, uh, especially in the off season. During the season, <laughs> at least you do have some feedback, and, and you know, you, you know how things are going based on match to match. Um, you know, I, I just I, I try to document a lot of things and try to document what we're doing in practice and um, you know what the message is, and you know, really try to be pretty detailed with that. And then, uh, you know, look back and compare those to some of the results that we had. And I think that's a, that's a good way to do it. Um, and obviously there's just so many factors that play into your success too, right? And um, sometimes things go well and sometimes they don't. And sometimes it's hard to know exactly why. So yeah. um, some of it you have to do from, from data and some of it I think you have to do from just general feel for, for the situation and for your athletes and for the, uh, the, the circumstances to a certain degree, if that makes sense. So you're a big journaler in that sense, or are you like typing it out? Um, no, I, I type it out, but I, I do journal too, some stuff, but yeah, typically with our, with our uh, practice plans and stuff, I think it's in a word document. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty detailed. So you do that and you look back. Um, it's cool to see that because, you know, when you look at your guys's yeah, I was wondering, like, what's when you look at a head coach's day, what are their buckets of focus? Like, you know, as a as a podcaster, it's prep, the interview, then editing it. Those are kind of the three buckets, you know. And I, I got to imagine it's something like, you know, recruiting and practice planning. But one of them is obviously fundraising. You guys just opened a new addition to the room this year. You updated some locker rooms. It looked like what what was the uh, some of the updates that you guys had this year? Yeah, so we um, we probably raised close to a million dollars um wow. in the last year so can you hear me can you hear me ryan your yep. screen's frozen a little bit i can still um, hear you okay so yeah we we uh we went ahead and uh redid completely redid our our team locker room our coaches locker room gutted our office area um put all new office in with you know really really nice um aesthetically you know it's, it's really cool all glass walls we put in a uh a lounge we took out one of the offices and put put in a lounge for our guys so um yeah all in it's going to be probably close to seven hundred thousand dollars in improvements to to th those areas we we're still waiting to do our graphics package we're putting about forty thousand dollars into our audio visual stuff and uh wow. new sauna new sauna going in the locker room so yeah a lot of a lot of updates and improvements uh to our facility which is you know I, and i like doing that kind of stuff like i like the fundraising part of it i like planning those things i like being involved in the uh in the design of those spaces so um it's been kind of fun for me it's sweet to look at i was doing the 3d tour today it's it's amazing how different wrestling facilities look now even from 20 years ago yeah, it's, it is. I mean, when you go, when you travel to some of these places and you go in the facilities that they have, and, you know, I'm sure you've been to a few of them. And, um, it's, you got to try to keep up with the Joneses and uh, there's, there's some incredible, there's some incredible facilities, uh, especially in the big 10 right now. But, but you were back at Michigan. They didn't have the bonnet, right? Were you guys in the basement of the Pontiac center? No, we were in the, we were in Chrysler arena, Chrysler um, arena. That's what it is. Which, yeah. yeah I mean, it was like a, it, it, the room is on the, it's on basically on the outside of the concourse. So it's kind of arced. It's in like a circular shape. So <laughs> uh, yeah, it was no windows. I mean, you want to talk about being in a dungeon. It was definitely, definitely a dungeon. <laughs> I didn't realize it was arced like that to like follow the, uh, the outside of the yeah. arena. 
Well, I wanted to ask you about a couple of non-related things um, and then we'll let you get on with your day. But the first is I noticed from your Instagram, are you a daily ice bather? Um, I, I ice bath a lot. Yeah. I enjoy the ice bath. Um, it's, yeah, it's something I would do every day if it was a little more convenient. Sometimes I don't do it just because it's out of convenience. But um, this year we had to do a lot of it outside because of COVID and our ice baths here at Virginia Tech, you know, they had that area on lockdown. So we set up some, some uh, tubs outside in, in the snow. Um, and in the summer, you can do that. Or in the winter, you can do that here. But this time of year, the ice melts and stay very warm. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoy it. I, I have one set up at my home occasionally as well. So what's your routine? You go like five minutes, 10 minutes? Yeah, sometimes, you know, sometimes go 10. Just kind of depends on how much time you have that day, I guess, as much as anything. That's a, that's a long time to be in the ice though. Um, yeah, I was just, I'm fascinated by people who have like little routines like that. That's one I aspire to to do, but I live in an apartment. So I don't know how, like, so what do you get the ice from like a grocery store, like a cooler bag of ice and fill it up or how do you do it? Well, no, it, it, like I said, in the winter, it's easy, right? You just let it freeze and then you go out there and you, you break up the ice and it's, that's the best time to do it. This time of year, it's a little more difficult. You can, you can buy like a freezer chest that there's people that do that. And then you set a timer where the, you know, it kicks on. So the water stays really cold. Um, I've thought about doing that. I haven't went to the, those lengths yet. Um, but, you know, th- we have ice baths here at Virginia Tech, so it, it makes it a little bit better. In fact, some of our next improvement getting back to our facility thing is we're going to put in a recovery room and I'm looking at getting, getting some really high tech, uh, nice ice, ice baths that, that, that basically they have like a self, uh, filtration system and they stay at like 34 degrees. So, nice. um, 34 degrees is really cold, by the way. That's freezing. You're not staying in for 10 minutes, 34 degrees. I was just at a, uh, a spa with my girlfriend and it's something we do like once a year. They had a cold plunge there. I got in it because I'm like listening to Wim Hof. I'm thinking I'm hearing a little bit of Tim Ferriss. I'm thinking, all right, this is the year I'm going in for a long time. I got in there literally 10 seconds and I'm freaking out. I, I asked the person to go, hey, what's that cold plunge at? I'm thinking it must be like 32, 34. They're like 51. I'm like, oh my God. So 30s has got to be a whole nother level of cold. Yeah, you just it's it's just like anything else. So you have to kind of get acclimated to it. And we'll we'll I'll have some guys on our team that I make do it. And at first, it's so hard for them, you know, getting over that fear. But once they get used to it, it's really not that difficult. So you know, you just kind of have to bite the bullet. And uh, after you do it a few times, it gets a lot easier. You actually start to you start to enjoy it after a while. That's the that's that wrestler mentality. Eventually, you start liking things like that, and it's it's a sickness almost. But it, like you said, it grows on you. The last thing I wanted to ask you about, Coach, is your rivalry with Ernest Binion. Um, you guys had some battles. and You had – I look at some of the guys you battled. Your 94 bracket was absurd between Pat, Joe, Sean Bormet, Malika. Um, but then in 95, is that the first time you wrestled Binion at the Nationals? Yeah, I had wrestled him at the Virginia Duels that year, um, and then I wrestled him at the Nationals. What do you remember about his feel and like what he brought to the table? That's a guy that a lot of people don't remember. And I just want to hear your thoughts on him. He's really good. Really good. Um, you know, like you said, un- very probably underappreciated, you know, he, he got out of wrestling pretty quick after he graduated. So I think people in your area, I'm sure are probably still familiar with him, but um, Ernest, I wrestled Ernest four times. We split two and two. And uh, 
he was a great athlete was his balance was unbelievable. I mean, you could pick him up in the air and it was so hard to finish on. He had great hips, just really good straight in speed. Um, and he was tough, you know, I mean, there was no, there was no quitting the guy, you know, I mean, if you were going to beat him, it was going to be, you know, it was going to be a war and, um, you, you know, you, you had to accept the fact you're probably going to get really, really tired in the process. So, um, he was good. I mean, he beat Joe Williams, uh, his senior year in the big 10 finals. I, I think a lot of people forget that. And the year prior to that in 1996, he, he really, almost beat him in the NCAA finals on kind of a controversial call um, on the edge of the mat, which very well might've been two points. So um, yeah, Ernest was, was fantastic. Great guy too. Great person, but just a tremendous competitor. Um, He was a gamer too. He was always a guy that he'd have a couple losses going into the NCAAs, but he did his best wrestling in the NCAAs. The, The year that you mentioned, I beat him at the Virginia duels, like seven to two. So I'm in the semis thinking I'm, you know, this, I'm in pretty good shape here. Um, and I ended up losing that match I think in overtime, I think, if I remember correctly, but, uh, but yeah, he was, he was a heck of a competitor and a heck of an athlete. Now, did you wrestle him your senior year in the semis as well to get to the finals? I did. I did yeah. So I wrestled him that my, my junior year, 95, I wrestled him, like I mentioned, the Virginia duels and I wrestled him in the NCAA semis Then I redshirted the following year. And we didn't wrestle that year. And then my senior year, he beat me in the Midland semifinals that year. And then I beat him in overtime in the semifinals uh, in, in 90, 97, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. So but they were great matches, too. I mean, they were fantastic matches. That was at UNI in 97? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, geez, you look back at, at your bracket in 95, you had two overtime losses. You end up fifth. Like, that's how close it is at that level. You know, um, pretty crazy. And then the one at the semis your senior year, do you? I don't know if you were a big like self-talk guy, but what, if anything, were you thinking before that match, knowing that it was probably one of the bigger matches of your life? You know, I think that's probably what the biggest adjustment I made from my junior season to my senior season is not allowing my mind to go there thinking about it being the biggest match of my life, right? Yeah. When you think about it being the biggest match of your life, it usually doesn't help you your performance. So um, I think probably my junior year, kind of just really you know putting a lot of pressure on myself you know thinking I had to win I had to be a national champ to my perspective that my senior year two years later was basically just go out and wrestle as hard as you can and and just try to give great effort um you know and and uh, I think that probably helped me a little bit but they were both you know like I said both either all of the match every time we wrestled uh, especially the two at the nationals could have went went either way both times Fun to fun to think back on those times. Those were great brackets in the NCAs, and I just want to get your thoughts on them. Before we go to the last question, I gotta commend you on your vest game as at the Southeast Regional Training Center. Those vests are sweet. Uh, so I'm a huge vest guy, so I, whenever you see are one, you, you got. Are you, are, you, are you making a plug? <laughs> I, I'm making a plug that I'd like one. Yeah, that's what I'm doing here. <laughs> Um, anytime I see, uh, you know, John Smith's best game is, is, is a Twitter account almost. It should be. So whenever I see one, I'm like, all right, those are pretty sweet. Um, and then the last question, coach, this podcast is called wrestling changed my life. Wrestling is your life. So it's always a little funny to ask college coaches, but you know, outside of the normal cliches, what's one thing you, you've taken away from the sport? Um, yeah, just a lot of things. I mean, it's changed my life in a ton of different ways, but, um, in terms of just, I guess if there's one takeaway that, that, uh, 
that you take from it is I, I think just the discipline and the hard work and, and really uh, if you want to get ahead in life, you, you got to be committed to it. I mean, there's just no other way to get around that. Right. And um, for me, that was something that I learned through wrestling that I've tried to pass on to my own kids um, is that, you know, the harder you work, the, the luckier you get. And that's just, you know, it always seems to hold true no matter what. And uh, so I guess that's, you know, probably the biggest takeaway, but there's so many, I mean, it's just hard. It's hard to really put that into yeah. words um, and, and uh, without taking up a whole episode on it. Well, I love how you said that it's about putting together a thousand days of consistent work. You know, like you start that. And when you say a perfect day, you don't mean that the results went your way, but that, that the controllables were controlled to the fullest extent. And so it's like, I've heard you say that put together a thousand of those days, then things start to happen. Yeah. You got to stack them up. You got to stack up good day after good day after good day. Um, and have faith even when you're not getting the results that you want, that, uh, that it's going to pay off at some point. And it may not be, uh, as soon as you want it to be right. Um, but you know, you got to believe that, when you have that kind of mentality and that kind of mindset and you put in that kind of effort, uh, it's going to pay off for you eventually. So I think wrestling rewards hard work more than any other sport there is out there. And, you know, that's, I think the one thing that's common for everybody that's participating in this sport, especially at a high level. And that's why you see so many, like we talked about Eric Tannenbaum and Ryan Bertin and Ryan Shirella those guys are crushing it and like they're not, they're not in wrestling anymore, but they're, they're crushing it in their careers. They're crushing it with their families um, because of all of the things that they learn through wrestling. So, and, and you know, the list goes on and on. We all know those guys. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it's, it's great. I, I've got two of my boys wrestle and uh, you know, regardless of how, you know, the credentials they have when they're done, uh, I'm quite certain that it's going to leave a huge impact on their lives. Well, it's exciting to, to see you, know, you passing that on to your kids. And yeah, I just can't wait to see uh, the future of Virginia Tech. I mean, we didn't even get into some of your current guys, Mackie Lewis, and how incredible he is. And again, just the rise of the ACC is so exciting to me. Um, I wish that we could uh, get them to release the ESPN the rights so we could get some like behind the scene crews in there and start documenting some stuff. I know that's a, that's a challenge. Uh, it's a blessing and a curse, but yeah, I just, I'm just really excited about everything that's going on out there and wish you nothing but the best, Coach. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. It was great chatting. And that's the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life, presented by Spartan Combat. To see video clips of this interview, go to Instagram, at Wrestling Changed My Life, or Twitter, at Wrestling Changed My Life. We also have a YouTube channel, and all past episodes can be found at WrestlingChangeMyLife.com. Peace!